All three readings this morning deal with something that makes us uncomfortable every so often, and that is change. We like to stay within our comfort zones, at least I'll speak for myself. Uh, I like to stay in my comfort zone, and uh, sometimes when I can um, increase that comfort, it's hard for me to pull back when I have to change that. Let me give you an example. Uh, Nancy had an opportunity to travel with a friend overseas, and she was gone 10 days. The only responsibility I had was Jethro, our dog. And then the house was mine, the television was mine, the remote was mine. <laughs> the dog just goes along with me, and he's anytime that anything that I ask of him. So it was like, this is good until the moment I start missing her, which was about three hours after she left, of course. Now she's back. And there's some changes, subtle changes that I have to, you know, adjust to. The dog knows she's the weakest link on the chain, so he goes to her and really creates a big fuss about going out or eating or whatever. And I keep saying, Jethro, you didn't do that, but it's okay. Things have changed. Things are a little different. In Jeremiah, what we find is the prophet still lamenting what Israel and Judah have done, the split kingdoms. They've turned their back against God, and they want to go on their own. And if you've ever tried that, uh, I know that you fail, and I ask you to never do it again. Take God with you wherever you go. Because if you leave God and you try it all on your own, it doesn't work. It's been proven it doesn't work. So he is talking about the, the image is a potter, and the potter is, is preparing something that is not quite right. And then God says to Jeremiah, oh, that I would be able to do that with Israel and Judah, that I would be able to reshape them, reform them, and be what I created them to be instead of what they turned out to be. In the letter Paul to Philemon, who is a leader that he has left behind in one of his journeys. He talks about Onesimus. And it's interesting that Onesimus was of no use to you nor to me. And now he is so valuable that I'm gonna send him back so you can keep him forever. Something's happened to Onesimus. There's been a change. And now it's a change for the good and Paul can send him back to that group of people that he calls saints. It's an interesting word that Paul uses. And then we come to the gospel, and the gospel is considered one of those hard sayings by Jesus until we look at the language. When I came to the United States, I've shared with you that uh, I was young and uh, did not have any command of the language at all. And um, uh, uh, first day of school, at Shenandoah Junior High in Miami, I heard somebody yell, watch out. This is a watch, and out is on the other side of that door. Watch out, what, what does that mean? That was the kind of English that we learned in Cuba. It was very literal. See John run, see Mary skip, see spot, do whatever, 
So I could not understand that, much less duck. When somebody yelled at me, duck. Well, duck, you know what a duck is, right? It's got feathers, it quacks, it waddles around, okay? And that's what I understood that to be until I realized there was a football coming to my head. And duck meant you lower yourself, you get the heck out of the way. Language, very, very interesting. If you do not hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, you cannot be my disciple. Now, with everything you know about Jesus, do you think that is what he said? No, it's not. I'm glad you're going like that. Because the word that is used by Luke that is lost in the translation, as the movie said, is misei. Misei means to esteem less, to love less, to regard less. So let me reread this for you. Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me far more than he does his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, or sisters. Yes, more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. That's quite different than hate, isn't it? Very different. So what Jesus is saying is, you love me first, you will then turn around and be able to love your family in ways that you haven't done before because the love that I will teach you is the love you can pass on to them. And that is a cost. It's a cost of being a disciple of Jesus. It's following him and being open to learn from him what it is that he wants us to do and be. And the other thing is a question that he poses to us. Are you available? Can I count on you? Remember, this is a man that is walking to his death. Not many of us experience that and hopefully never will that we're walking to our own death out of our own volition. But are you among that number that will support me is the question. Will I be alone? Can I count on you? Are you available? Well, the easy answer is, let me think about it. Let me think about it. What, what is it gonna cost? What is it? And that's why he tells the story of building a tower or a king going to war. Wouldn't you figure out what the cost would be before you jump in? I don't believe any of us in here would go to our favorite dealership and say, I want that car not ask how much it is or anything and just write the check for whatever amount they tell you and go on your merry way. We don't do things that way. We find out what is the cost. That's why we say, give me an estimate. On Thursday, we were talking about this in class and somebody asked, how does this fit with contrast? Is there a juxtaposition between what Jesus is saying and all the times that we're called upon to be faithful, full of faith, to have faith in what's going to happen? 
Well, it is really not contradictory. They're two totally different things. Having faith in building a tower means that I have faith that I'll have the resources, I'll have the, the worker power, I'll have all this to put it together. The other thing is, do I have the resources and all the things? So Jesus is talking about, have faith that you can build a tower, but you also have to be realistic in figuring out what are the parts that are there. He had faith that people would follow him all the way to Calvary, but he also knew that one would betray him and the rest would be scattered. And even Peter would deny him three times before the cock crowed. Being available for God is a very important thing. Being available for those who need us is a great thing. It was the summer of 1998, and Nancy and I had just moved to Memphis, and we wanted to get to know our new state of Tennessee. So we decided to drive the length of Tennessee. And, you know, Tennessee is like a little rectangle in the middle of the country. So we started in Memphis, next to the Mississippi, and we went all the way across, and we looked at things, stopped in Nashville, and did, did the touristy things, and made it all the way to North Carolina. And we stayed in a, uh, a small uh, hotel, um, carved out of the side of a mountain, and beautiful, beautiful. And then we heard about a play called Unto These Hills. And it was performed in Cherokee, North Carolina, very much like the play Texas in Palo Duro Canyon on the side of a mountain. And this is a story about Tsisali, a Cherokee Indian brave in 1838. Um, you remember 17,000 Cherokees were forced by Colonel Winfield Scott to journey in Moss to uh, an awful place and under awful conditions from North Carolina to Oklahoma. And more than 4,000 perished in what is called the Trail of Tears. Some 1,000 Indians, however, had hidden in the Great Smoky Mountains. And one of these was Tisali. His wife had been murdered by a drunken U.S. soldier who in turn was killed by Tesali and his kinsmen, and then they went into hiding, at which time he was related the following request, if you would surrender yourself and your kin to be shot to death, the remainder of the tribe that is now in the Great Smoky Mountains will be let go, and they can live wherever it is that they find their home to be. After days of anguish, he turned himself in, and he was shot, and the promise was kept. At the last moment, the youngest son was saved from the firing squad by the tears of a missionary woman who was present for the sentencing, but no such luck for Sally. They died, but a thousand Cherokees remained free being available. I don't think any one of us will be asked to be shot in a public display of punishment for any group or anybody. But the question still remains, are you available to suffer the possible consequences of discipleship? There is a cost 
or being a disciple. It could be as simple as a friend of mine who said after his retirement, I no longer want to do eight o'clock in the morning Eucharists. It is my time to be me, take care of me. He was not available for the needs of some congregations that I needed to find someone to be there. That's not being available. But it is a consequence of discipleship. You're here this morning. You give up your time. You may want to be doing something else. That's okay. God knows your heart. Or this may be the pinnacle of your day. If so, you're blessed. No one can be my disciple who does not carry his own cross and follow me. And we even joked about that this morning when he went to said, I better get my cross. I said, yeah, follow me. We like our comfort levels, as I said. So it is hard for us sometimes to commit to be available. And the last thing I want to share with you is a question. A question that I pose to myself very often. Am I available to tell the story? How is somebody going to know about the God that lives in you, the Jesus that lives in you, unless you tell the story? You know the biggest problem with that? We sabotage ourselves. We keep saying Episcopalians are not good evangelists. You know why? Because we make evangelism a big, ugly bugaboo with many heads that looks like an awful dragon snake. Let me tell you what evangelism is. For a few seconds, and I know you can do this, how did you come to God? How did God find you? What road did you take to be where you are now? For me, it was a very slow process. I was born and bred in a religious family, an extended kinship, different culture, I know, extended kinship. But every Sunday, we went to church. Every Thursday, we went to church. Then I had the opportunity of traveling with my father to one of the old missions in old Havana, where he would sit and pray by himself in one of the front pews, and I would be, as a kiddo, playing around with the dirt floor and this and that and the other. But before we left, every time he gave me a quarter, and I went and put it in a poor box. It was that environment that brought me to where I am. Did I have questions about a call to the ordained ministry? Absolutely. And the biggest question was, with four children and the only breadwinner for the family, will I be available to my family? I would be available to God, but will I be available to my family? And I never had to make a choice. God was always very good to me. Vestries were very good to me. I never had to make choices. That's my story. What is yours? And you know what? It's my story. You can't change it. You can't say, no, no, that's not the way it is. 
I am the author and the editor of it. So are you. So when you have a chance and God will give you a chance, tell your story. Are you available to tell the story? You Oh, yeah, you are. You definitely are. And when the time comes, just tell your story. You don't have to fabricate it. It's right there. Tell your story. That's what God wants us to do. So, you will have chances to do that, opportunities to do that. Stan Toller in his book said the following, God never failed me, but he scared me a lot of times. The moment you open yourself to tell your story, God will give you opportunities to do that. So it is very simple. Go home with the following idea. When God calls, open yourself up and say, yes, Lord, I am available, and see what happens. You will be blessed. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.